Hi, this is Quinn Wynn and Jesse Chu, co-founders of Paper Talk. Welcome to season five. We're here to share our paper flower journey, engage with makers and artists, and support other female entrepreneurs. Follow along as we give a voice to and nurture a community of paper florists from around the world. And welcome to another episode of Paper Talk. Today we have Rebecca Grant with us. She is the owner of New Creations Wedding Design and Coordination. And I first met Rebecca at the masterclass in 2019 in Seattle and heard her talk during the masterclass. She gave a wonderful talk to all of our uh, attendees, and I was just blown away by her knowledge, by her confidence. Um, and so here she is. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Good to see you again, Jesse and Quinn. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Quinn, tell us a little bit how you know Rebecca. Oh, my gosh. Rebecca is a force of nature, everybody. Everybody in the city of Seattle knows her, oh, either gosh. in person, <laughs> all the events, with all the, I mean, you've been president of the Wedding Network, the, all the different organizations. You've been talking with the governor, dealing with the COVID situation for the wedding industry. My gosh, everybody I know, know you. And <laughs> you are so knowledgeable, so personal, yeah. and literally a force of nature. And I feel so fortunate to call you friend. And I feel even extra special because I get to see you a few <laughs> times a year. <laughs> Agreed. I feel the same way about you, Quinn. You, I literally come home and tell Brian, man, I feel like the underdog every time I hang out with Quinn. She's so accomplished and so motivated. I'm like, man, I wish I had that. It's <laughs> <laughs> really blasting off ideas to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's yeah, it's great to have friends that push you and are constantly driven themselves because that certainly makes it just really fun to be a part of their energy and um, push you to the next level too. Yeah. yeah I love sure. it so much. Yeah. Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I live out a town called Snohomish in Washington state. We're about 45 minutes north of Seattle proper. My husband and I are on six acres out here. We've been married for 12 years coming up in May. And we purchased a wedding venue that we live on property of in October of 2019. We live out here with our two golden retrievers, Barley and Ginger, and our six chickens, which just started laying eggs. So if anybody needs eggs, hit me up. <laughs> um, great. Good to know. <laughs> Love to garden. That's kind of one of my hobbies. I spend way too much money on plants. And then, yeah, just been a wedding planner for almost two decades now. And then the venue ownership has been fairly new. And then when I'm not working out gardening or spending time with my family who all lives locally still. And of course, good community of friends here that are both wedding vendors, as well as, as friends. So we call them frienders. <laughs> it. It's been so amazing. I mean, you've been doing, you've been doing wedding for an incredibly long time. How did you mm -hmm. first fall into that category? And cause you had your business over in Hawaii first, mm -hmm. and then you moved over to Seattle. How did you establish your name? Because your reputation is stellar here. Thank you. I appreciate that. So kind of going back to the beginning, I was one of those lost children after high school. I did not know what I wanted to do with my life at all. I was very interested in a lot more of the creative fields than the going through traditional business or systems or anything like that. So I really 
just had an interest in things that were very creative. So in terms of baking or culinary or florals or interior design, like I had no idea what I wanted to do. (laughs) So um, this was early 2000s. You know, I graduated in 98. So this was early 2000s. I was really just trying to find my way. And uh, this was kind of right at the forefront where wedding planning started to become an actual career that you can make a living out of. And so started just putting my feelers out there to see like what direction I needed to go, where I needed to go in seeing if this was something I really wanted to do. And so I ended up calling, you know, all the big hotel chains and just asking like for their catering department, asking who they hire, all that good stuff. And so they were saying, well, we look for somebody with a hospitality degree. And so at the time I thought I was going to go the hotel route and end up being like a catering sales manager or something of that nature inside a hotel. So I ended up looking for schools that offered some sort of a degree in hospitality. And at the time within the U.S., it was either Hawaii, New York, or Florida that offered programs in that. And so my ex-husband was able to transfer his job directly over to Hawaii. So that kind of solidified the decision-making of like, well, I guess we're moving to Hawaii. (laughs) So we were able to, in that process, I mean, it was just a total godsend to have everything just fall into place. Uh, We had a gentleman who I happened to make a comment to at my old job telling him I was moving to Hawaii. And he goes, oh, do you guys need a place to stay? And I was like, yeah, we do. You know, we're, we're looking. It's kind of hard to find. And he's like, well, I have a condo you can, you can use for $100 a month. A month. Oh, my God. <laughs> <A condo. laughs> That's unbelievable. Wow. And this was in Kaneohe, which if you've been to Oahu, you know Kaneohe is not a $100 a month place <laughs> oh. to live. So he's a pilot for Jal Airlines. And so he's like, I'll just be there for my layovers. So typically like two to three times a month. But other than that, it's yours. And so we ended up picking up and moving to Hawaii with our nine suitcases. <laughs> and... and we moved on, on New Year's Day. So we flew into fireworks and all sorts. So it was a very like grand beginning, right? Of <laughs> um, moving to Hawaii. Good to be. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yep. And then so after we got kind of settled, because I had previous coffee stand experience in my past life, I ended up applying at Starbucks and working there and worked my way up to a store manager, enrolled at University of Hawaii Travel Industry Management Program. So I started classes there. And then also beyond that, about a year into our time living on Oahu, ended up finding a wedding planner who was looking for a day of assistant. And so I ended up interviewing with her and just felt like, man, this could not be a better fit. Like I was so hoping that she would hire me (laughs) and I really, really wanted to work with her and sure enough, she did. So it, it worked out. So I ended up working with Sandra with Finishing Touch for about uh, like almost four years at that point. And while I was living on the islands. And so she just kind of got me in the foot in the door with getting to learn weddings and be her day of assistant and kind of work my way up from there. So I ended up going through a divorce. And so that's what brought me back from Hawaii to Seattle. And I moved back home uh, June 4th, 2008. And I, just needed to get my feet underneath me a little bit for the first few months. And so I moved back in with my mom. Yay. <laughs> Yay for parents. Yay for parents. <laughs> I was very happy I had a place to go. And then since I since I was a uh, working for Starbucks, they were able to transfer me directly across from Hawaii to Seattle. 
And so I ended up landing at a store there. So I didn't miss a day of pay, which was so great. Started just working as a barista until they could find a store that I could manage. And so then they found a store I could manage. And so then I re-promoted back up to store manager. So just really got my feet underneath me again. And then I really just kind of started putting the word out there. I had business cards made. I decided on an actual business name, got that licensed and registered with the state. And then was able to kind of slowly but surely get ramped up. So I officially launched New Creations in November of 2009. And I quit Starbucks in September of 2011. So it took me a good two years to kind of balance out (laughs) that part-time. Well, it was a full-time job at the time, but kind of slowly building up the wedding planning side. And then to the point where I could feel like, okay, I think we're ready to pull back fully from Starbucks. And I I will never forget that first day. It was me sitting there at the computer like, well, now what do I do? (laughs) I don't know what I do. (laughs) It was just me and the dog. (laughs) The whole exciting factor, how I think a lot of our audience wants to know, how did you know that you were ready to start your own business? Like Mm -hmm. not be doing a side job, but Mm -hmm. full 100%. I think everyone's so curious, like, they're so afraid to push that button and to jump off and do it. So what would you tell our listeners? Yeah. Like, how do you know the moment? Well, it's terrifying. I'll tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> right from the get-go, as we all know, being entrepreneurs, right? Like there's never a right time. There's never a right step. So it's like having a baby or getting married. There's never the exact right time. You know, it's just kind of your gut instinct and, and following that is kind of number one. Number two with having the background of coming off, having worked in Hawaii and worked with one of the best wedding planners on the island. And then a little bit about her background, she's Burmese and Chinese. And so she is fluent in Mandarin. And so she was able to really connect with a lot of our Chinese speaking clientele. And then of course, just the geography of Hawaii in general, we attracted a lot of Asian couples. And so that was my specialty here in Washington. As I started to get out and network, I was like, oh my gosh, nobody's got this background. Like no one has this niche in the market and it's so needed in this area. And so that was kind of one of the things that I realized really set me apart from a lot of the other wedding planners out there. So I think that that really catapulted me in being immediately kind of a go-to resource for folks that wanted to know more about Asian and Pacific Islander wedding customs. And so I was able to really set myself apart in that piece. So number two, I would say really know what your niche is, know what your specialty is and be confident in it. Obviously I'm white as the snow. So like, (laughs) why why is the Asian couple going to come to me and be like, you know, that was my first thought when I first met you. I was like, I need to know more about this girl because how is she able to know my custom? Yes. <laughs> and, oh my God, you guys, she totally impressed the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. So being really confident in what sets you apart, you've got to know that first and foremost before you really launch into your business and knowing, knowing who the clients are that you're speaking to. Number three, you know, I was in a really unique situation where at the, uh, I had just come off of the heels of a divorce. I had met my current husband, Brian, that following. So my divorce was official September, 2008. I met him October of 2008. <laughs> so it was very fast. And then we were talking about marriage, you know, down the road. And so we ended up officially getting married in May of 2010. And so I knew 
that with him having a little bit more of a steady paycheck, I was put in a position where I could take that leap a little bit more confidently than somebody who is a single woman or a solopreneur, you know, that's just relying on themselves. So I realized that I was in a very unique situation with that of having kind of a little bit of a backup plan and always knowing that I could go back to Starbucks if for some reason it didn't work out because that was just an easy shoe in for me of like, okay, here's the steady paycheck. Here's great benefits. So doing it smartly, I think is really important. So yes, you've got to trust your gut that, yeah, you can make this work. Two, you've got to know your niche, but three, you really have to do it wisely. And I was lucky enough to have uh, no debt. And so, and I don't, I personally am not a fan of running a business into debt. So being able to have that six month emergency fund minimum stocked, ready to go before you even start your business, I think is paramount. And that just gives you the ability to know financially, like, okay, if this doesn't succeed, (laughs) I'm good. I'm not going to be out on the street. I'm not going to be, you know, starving. Uh, I've got those resources in check. So really just, if you possibly can do not take anything out on credit, just really save before you start that business and make sure that you've got that nest egg ready to go before you take that next step. And then with that, just network, 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 network. 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 (laughs) I agree with that. Making those connections, being able for people to introduce you and getting that recommendation. Because I would say a lot of people, I mean, that's why there's testimonials on website. And whenever you're like, who do you recommend? Mm -hmm. If you can network and get your name and people get to know you, who you are and trust you, it goes so much further than doing an Instagram post and just doing the media stuff. I mean, when you can be recommended by a friend or someone that you know, or even a friend of a friend, that carries so much weight, you guys. So yeah, network. Yeah. 100% and I'll tell network. you on the back end, I probably get minimum three a day, minimum of companies that are like, hey, I found you on Google or hey, I found you on Instagram. I would lo- really love the opportunity to work with you. Here's the link to my website. Here's average pricing that you know my, our couples tend to work with please let me know how I can work with you. You can't, I don't know you. I will (laughs) never refer you because I don't know you. Like I don't make myself hard to find, you know, I'm very Mm -hmm. active in this community. So I do get out a network, you know, as you mentioned, Quinn, I've been previous chapter director for Seattle wedding network. I'm current president for WIPA Seattle. I attend some of our NACE meetings. And yes, these are all acronyms that your paper people probably will have no idea what they mean. But (laughs) But you should look it up, you guys. It's so important. (laughs) Exactly. So like, it's not hard to find me. So if you want to work with me, meet me, like get to know me. Let's, Let's have a conversation. Let's see how we can service our couples and clients the best. Let's see what you, you know, what your specialty is versus this person over here, what their specialty is. So like, Let's see how we can connect and really interact and see if it's even a good fit for you and I to work together. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, so just on an email, um, my canned auto response that I just changed slightly to make it a little bit more personable, but is, Hey, this meeting's coming up. I would really love the opportunity to meet you there. And it's not just a benefit to me of having that introduction of me being able to see them at these networking events. There's minimum 50 people that are there. 
At our last WIPA meeting, we had 115 people there. So you're not only meeting me, you have the opportunity to expand your reach so much further than just one email and spending so much time sending those emails out, you know, hey, I would love to meet you. Hey, I would love to meet you. Come to an event where all of us are at and then you get to meet all of us (laughs) and you're not spending your time behind the email. (laughs) And it's just so much better of a connection. Yeah. And when you do go to these type of meetings, guys, and the world's starting to open again, and these meetings are happening, bring a wing woman. If you're very much an introvert, which I know a lot of you guys are, bring someone that knows you so they can introduce you. Because to me, I have a hard time introducing myself and saying, these are my accolades. (laughs) But if you have a friend that knows you, that knows your accolade, they can introduce you in such a wonderful way. And you can do it for the other person. For me, I can introduce Rebecca. I can do introduce Jesse. I mean, there's I like I'm gushing because I love these two people and I know exactly what to highlight. And it's genuine and people feel that. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, I really give me your business card. I need to know you and follow up with you. I think that is the key when you don't know how to be the party animal, which you don't <laughs> have to be at all. No, not at all. Yeah, that's a really, really great point, Quinn. And especially if you do send off a individual emails, so like I would love to get an email that says, Hey, Rebecca, I follow you on Instagram. I saw you on Google. I see that you're president of WIPA Seattle. I would love to attend the next meeting, but I'm really introverted or I'm a wallflower or just be honest with me and say, I would really love it if you could help me to introduce three people. Like set yourself a goal. That to me would go so much further than I would love to work with you. You know, like just let me know that you need the help. And I'm happy to do that and introduce to you because 19 years in, I know a few people. And so I'm happy to be <laughs> yes, able to recommend, <laughs> like, this is who you need to talk to. This would be a really great resource for you. And then follow up from there. So like every single time I attend a networking event, I keep the new people that I've met, I keep their business cards. I write on their business card, what date, where I met them, what we talked about. So I then send a follow-up email the next morning. Hey, Jesse, it was really great to meet you at the paper retreat that we had up here in Seattle. It was so awesome to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to see you at another event. You know, something as simple as that. It's literally less than 30 seconds of my day, but it makes that personal connection of saying, I remember you. I'm going to follow up with you. And if you need anything in the future, I'm here to be a resource for you. And that just goes so far in this industry. Like, don't keep yourself in a shell and don't keep yourself so limited. Like, there's so many options out there. You know, like, I wouldn't be on this podcast today if Quinn and I weren't friends. And how did we even become friends? through another (laughs) mutual friend, you know? So exactly. We know, we know. So yeah, yeah, just don't be afraid to speak up and and be able to meet because you never know where that opportunity is going to take you. Mm -hmm. Another key thing, you guys follow up. If you meet somebody and they made an impression on you and you got their business card or their contact information, or, Mm -hmm. you know, their DM on um, Instagram, DM them, message them and say, Hey, it was really great meeting you. And one thing I do a little bit further is I discreetly take a photo of the person. If I don't have an image of them on their, you know, Instagram, if I can get a screenshot of a picture headshot, I attach the business card and I put it in my contact notes because you can add notes and information on there. And so that gives me like, oh, this is who Rebecca is and this is what she looks like. And this is how I met her. It's just really great trigger points. So that way, because I have a hard time, I have visually very, very good, but 
writing things down makes me remember things even more. And that has helped me connect all the different dots and who I met. And I think that's really important is like, oh, Rebecca introduced me to XYZ. I write it down my note because you do end up meeting a lot of people and backtracking back. That's the key part, you guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. So true. And you can kind of on a tangent to that, you could even say like at that event, hey guys, I want to get a selfie so I can tag you on Instagram, right? Like how, exactly. how much work? And then your minimum yeah. getting reposted. If you're in a picture with three people, your minimum reposted two additional times. And then you're seeing all of their followers. So definitely leverage those photos and leverage those tags for sure. Mm-hmm. Great content Great. to post on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you back and be like, oh, that's when it happened. Yes. Well, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, and then it creates FOMO in the community too, because people that weren't at that event are now seeing, oh my gosh, I could meet, I could have met this person and this person if I was there. So I just think it really rises the entire community as a whole. Um, the more people we can get involved and talk with for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's yeah. And that's Rebecca. That's how I market, use my marketing dollars, by the way. So I don't advertise in any local magazine. I don't advertise in any blog. I don't, I don't pay. The only thing I pay for is my virtual assistant to do my Instagram posts because I would go batty if I had to do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the only thing I pay for is those networking meetings. So that is where my marketing dollar goes. So mm-hmm. are most of your clients from referrals? hundred percent like marketing, marketing meetings. Well, that's, that's where my referrals come from. Wow. So okay. I get, right. Got it. yeah. So a lot of my couples and clients come from past couples, the word of mouth there. And then also from those networking events, honestly, my biggest referral sources are other wedding planners, which mm-hmm. people find really crazy to hear. But if you know your competition and if you're friendly with them, community over competition, that referral will generate. So there's been several businesses that dissolved after 2020. And so I've gotten that, the pickup from those wedding planners who are like, hey, I'm no longer in business, but here's who is. You'll be in good hands. So wedding planners um, and then venues, other vendors, that is 100% how I operate my business. Fully booked. And what that means for me, I do take on more than the average wedding planner. Previously, 2018, 2019, I do about 30 to 35 weddings a year. 2020, obviously, (laughs) that went down the drain. So I did eight elopements. (laughs) Um, And then last year, 2021, I did 42 weddings because 31 of them were rescheduled. Plus, I already had 11 organic ones on the books. So made it through that hell year. Uh, (laughs) And then 2022, I've got 26. And then 2023, I'm already starting to book for, and I want to cap myself out at 20. And why I'm pulling back with the counts that I want to do per year. Uh, one, I'm getting older. Can't be on my feet all day for too much longer. Um, no, it's, it's fine. But uh, I'm pulling back because I want to develop another side of my career. And also with owning our wedding venue now, I I want to be able to have a little bit more balanced of a lifestyle. So it's not because I don't love it anymore. It's not because, you know, I can't handle doing that 30 to 35. I just want to pursue the what's next for me and also be able to give the venue a little bit more of our focus. 
the Awesome Boston Workshops are wrapping up and we're celebrating with the in-person party. We're hosting a workshop from May 13th to 15th at Hope Flower Farm and Winery in Virginia. We'll teach you how to make two new flowers and how to arrange your paper bloom. Plus, internationally acclaimed fresh florist, educator, and designer Holly Chapel will teach you her Hollyish style of arranging using freshly cut flowers from her farm and you will arrange alongside her. Tickets are only limited to 20 students and they're available to purchase starting March 25th. But if you're one of our Awesome Blossom students and you have the golden ticket, you can grab a spot right now and save $500. Come and celebrate with us face-to-face. Head over to our website now and reserve your spot. We can't wait to meet you. Yeah. And I love that you pulled in your mm-hmm. husband. He's a big part of the venue. Like oh my he gosh, does huge. all the maintenance, the build out is the tours. Tell us yeah. more about his role because he's still working full time. Is that correct? He is. Yeah. So we met when we were both store managers for Starbucks. So he's been with the company for 19 years, just as long as I've been involved in weddings. <laughs> and so he's since moved on to the corporate side of Starbucks. So he's IT for them now and working full-time remote, which is great. Saves him about a, a 90 minute round trip drive from our house to the Soto office in downtown Seattle. But with him being able to work remote from Starbucks, he's able to finish one job and kind of move on to the next. So yes, it's at this point, a lot of work for the both of us between the three, you know, two of us, we've got three full-time jobs, but with him and his background, he's one of those guys that can watch a YouTube video and be like, oh yeah, I got this. (laughs) He He knows plumbing, he knows slight electrical, he knows how to build things. He's incredibly handy with just knowing what to do and the situation on how best to repair it. And if it's something, you know, beyond his scope, he's luckily one of those guys that's humble enough to say, we need to hire this out too. So, (laughs) But he's, you know, right now on our off season, we pick up our, the start of our season in mid-May. And so we are working on renovating the bathroom. So he just put in brand new tile on the floors. He put in a brand new wall mounted sink. He put in shiplap back behind one of our feature walls. Um, He's next will be renovating behind our bar area and redoing that whole process. So it's easier for the bartenders. So he definitely knows how to do a lot on the customer client facing side. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that's where you come in <laughs> yeah. he's he's that introvert he's that person that needs a wing woman which is me uh, but he is able to he's able to do well enough one-on-one so like if it's a tour with a couple he does really well with those and just connecting with them on that way so I would say I do about 80% of the tours and then he comes in for the 20% I can't cover but he has a good booking percentage he does great <laughs> Uh, yeah, but he's, he's, a he's a little bit more introverted. Yeah, yeah, he's a little bit more of a quiet guy, and he likes to sit behind his desk and not really do a whole lot. And during wedding season, sometimes people and their habits get a little bit annoying to him, and you know things like that. So I'm just reminding yeah. him, like, we'll make it through. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So he's definitely not as much of a wedding person as I am. He kind of got thrown into it because venue ownership was very much my what's next at the time. And so, so he's, yeah, he's chugging away and doing great. And we've had those conversations of, you know, does he quit Starbucks? Does he stay on? Um, So that's something that we are just trying to figure out as a couple, 
financially, if it makes sense. And he, you know, currently with Starbucks, he carries our, our health benefits. So that's pretty big. You know, Starbucks has really great 401k and stock options and all that good stuff that he would be giving up if he were to, to leave the company. So that's just something that we need to just figure out a little bit more to see, is this a viable option? Is it stupid for us? Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's just a, a conversation that can't be had and made overnight. Yeah. needs to be a little bit more insight into that. Well, what's your, um, your thinking behind purchasing the venue? I mean, obviously that means mm-hmm. expanding your business mm-hmm. or the different arms of your business. How did that decision get made? And what were you, what were you thinking about? Because <laughs> <When you're making laughs> a lot of us, you know, we're thinking of either finding a, a spot to rent for a retail mm-hmm. spot or investing in a big computer or a printer, something, something of, um, that's really expensive to invest in. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you think about? Yeah. When you're thinking about putting money into capital investments, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ever since I've been a wedding planner, planner, venue ownership was always my next step. So at some point in my career, I knew that one way or another, we were going to make this happen with this opportunity that came up. So I was pretty quiet about just kind of putting, you know, feelers out there and starting to look at different venues, you know, once I thought we were kind of ready. So we would, we had been looking for three years prior to 2019. So that would have been 2016 that we were honestly like physically looking at properties. We were looking online at properties. We were in touch with a real estate agent. And so we were pretty actively starting to seek properties at that time. It wasn't until I want to say either, gosh, midway through 2017, I think is when I finally started putting it out publicly saying, this is my next step. This is what I am looking for. I would, so when we would go on site visits, I would do an Instagram live or a video of just saying like, what do you guys think about this? This is where I think the ceremony would go. This is where I think cocktail reception, et cetera. So over the course of that three-year timeframe, we had honestly physically looked at over 50 properties online, I would say closer to the 200 mark. So we had looked at a lot of property. This wasn't, this wasn't again, an overnight quick decision. This was a, this will happen at some point. And now we feel like we're at the point where we're ready. So there was a few different properties that really stood out when uh, Scott to see a couple of them that we were interested in. Um, but for whatever reason, most of the time it's financial. I was looking in the Woodenville area for a good long time and gosh, those are expensive properties, like (laughs) in the the four millions, five millions, you know, that we were looking at. And that was nothing built on the property that was either a complete teardown and a build out or just not infrastructure wise set up to be a wedding venue. So, um, when this property came along, we were able, so it was not publicly listed on MLS. Um, and the only reason we found it was because I started putting it out there that we were looking for a wedding venue. And so because other people were, you know, knew that I had this goal and were being my advocate and being my wing woman, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, that is how we found out that this property was for sale. I was at a wedding on a Friday in July and my assistant for that day, got a text from her in-laws and I'll, I'll tie all this in here in just a bit, but she got a text from her in-laws that said Twin Willow Gardens just came up for sale. Do you know anybody that would be interested? And she looks at me and she goes, Rebecca, Twin Willow Gardens just came up for sale. <laughs> and this is You've your got venue. to look at it. <laughs> yep, this is your venue. So why I bring up that her in-laws texted, her in-laws were the second owners of this property. 
And I had been to this house before that I'm sitting in now. I had been to this property before. So I was very familiar with it. And we were already local to the Snohomish area. We just moved two miles down the road when we took over this property. So we were already familiar with, you know, the area, grocery shopping and doctors and all that good stuff. And so once once my assistant that day what told me Twin Willow is up for sale, she texted the current owners of the property and she said, what are you looking for in a buyer? How much are you asking? <laughs> so I was getting all this in real time as she was asking me at that wedding. So that was on a Friday. We set up a meeting with the previous owners the following Monday. We sat with them for about four hours and just kind of went over those, you know, what are you looking for? How much are you asking? You know, we walked the property, we walked the house, just all those nitty gritty details. And we made a formal offer the following Tuesday. So that was kind of how that worked. We agreed to let them finish out their season. So they ended at the time in September. So we let them finish out till the end of September. We officially took ownership of the property October 1st of 2019. So then we all know what happened through 2020 with it being a seasonal wedding venue. Our first oh. wedding was supposed to be May of 2020. And by March, our, our entire season was wiped out. So it was incredibly stressful. The gray hairs are very real. <laughs> I look at pictures from 2019 to 2020. I'm like, oh gosh, I aged a lot. <laughs> I don't think we not been wedding people that this venue would have survived. I think that if the previous owners would have had it, more than likely they just would have said, screw it, we're out, given up because they weren't wedding people either. His passion was real estate. This was an investment property for him. So when it didn't make money, I think that they would have been out. Inherited the contracts that were booked in, tw- in 2019 for the weddings that were happening in 2020. So that was what caused us, honestly, the biggest strife. The previous owners did not have a rescheduling agreement in their contract. Uh, so we had to make that up as we were going. The couples that booked with them didn't know us. So there was a little bit of that mistrust mm-hmm. level. What are these new owners going to do? So we just tried to be super communicative. I popped on Instagram live more than I've ever been on in my life. Because as Quinn mentioned very early on, I was one of the four that that spoke directly with the governor's office every single week through 2020, trying to represent the the Washington state wedding and event industry and getting us reopened. And so because I was at the forefront of those conversations, I could easily communicate what was happening with my couples. So just really trying to be uber communicative on Instagrams and doing blast emails saying, this is what's happening. Here's the current updates. Just trying to let people know, like, we're not going to screw you over. We will try and make this right for both of us. Like, it's not either person's, it's no one's fault, zero person's fault, right? So how can we make this work for both you and us with still being able to financially survive and be able to bring bring this wedding venue through 2020 so you can have a wedding here? Because <laughs> if we can't afford it, like, you're not having your wedding. Sorry. So exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just... Yeah, it was very, very stressful. It was over 40 weddings here that we had to reschedule. It was 31 through my planning company. And so it was so over 70 weddings between the two companies, plus working with the governor's office. It was exhausting. It was a lot of yelling, a lot of crying. I've never applied for unemployment in my entire life. And I applied for unemployment. I couldn't, I could not believe it. Applied for every single loan and grant that there was out there that we possibly could have. I got involved with our local 
city council members and said, what are you doing? Snohomish County wedding venues bring in so much revenue to this county. Like, what are you doing for us? Just really trying to get weddings on the radar with mm-hmm. people who, who th- that's not their world, right? Mm-hmm. They would never even think about that. I was getting frustrated with, through the closures, the restaurants and the nail salons and those small businesses getting so much attention. Whereas those of us who planned a year out, they didn't realize that this was affecting two years of our income. Because not only did we lose all the revenue that should have been completed in 2020, we were now taking out inventory out of our 2021 availability and dates are our inventory. So to reschedule all those 2020s into 2021, that meant we couldn't book 2021. Mm-hmm. So two years of revenue were down the toilet for us. We weren't, you know, we weren't a restaurant that could repurchase our food and open up full scale a week later. You know, this was a two, not three year commitment with not only working with these couples, but also that our revenue was totally lost. So we were scrappy. We worked super hard. I rented out my dogs, you know, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, everybody loves my golden retrievers. <laughs> Take them for a walk, go outside, you know, pay me for them. Um, <laughs> applying for those loans, applying for those grants, just really trying to make anything I could possibly make work and mm-hmm. try and carry it. You know, here we went from a house that just Brian's Starbucks job alone could cover the mortgage. No problem to this house where his doesn't even cover half. And so we were a little nervous about what that looked like. And so luckily we were able to make it through and we were booking actively at the time for this year. So those deposits for this year really helped cover a lot of the payments through last year too. So we're coming out of that cycle and coming out of all the blah and crap of yes. 2020 <laughs> and uh, with being fully booked for this year and one date left for, for 2023. Aww. And then we've Yay. got the wait list for 2024. So, so yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh Thank gosh. you. Really all the headache. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. It's like a Phoenix rising from the ashes. Let's turn to the attention to your, your clients. Yeah, because I mean, I remember when I had my wedding and I met with our, I guess, event coordinator. Mm-hmm. I had like no idea what to expect. I had this vague vision of what I wanted, but most of the time, I like I didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. hopefully, most of us only do it once, right? So we generally <laughs> we have limited knowledge when we are yep. trying to plan as to okay, what do I need? What do I want? So, how do you help couples do that? Yeah. So just even on their initial inquiry form, I one of the questions that I ask them is fast forward to the end of, of the night in your mind. And when you and your husband or wife or you know, partner is, is sitting there in your getaway car, driving back to whatever hotel you're going to stay at, what do you guys want to be talking about? And that always makes them stop in their tracks. And they're like, I don't know. We've never talked about it. And I said, well, think about like, is it, oh my gosh, that was a killer dance party or that food was amazing, or man, I loved really being able to sit and talk with everyone. Like, what is it that really is the focus for you guys? And it's different for almost every couple. So some will tell me, I want that wow factor. So that tells me automatically they want that over-the-top decor. So that means their floral budget is going to be higher. Some will tell me the food needs to be experienced. You know? So that automatically tells me more than likely a plated meal, more than likely a multi-course dinner. 
So that caterer is going to be the priority for them. Some will tell me it's a packed dance floor where we are sweaty and gross at the end of the night and we're going home and people are just drunk and sweaty and wonderful shoes are off. Obviously their investment is going to be a little bit more on the DJ or band side. So that's a question that really gives me a lot of insight into what their focus is and where they want to see their wedding go. And that's probably the number one most telling question I can ask them. In addition to that, I'll ask some questions like, what are your hobbies and interests? Uh, That's actually just on my initial inquiry form on my website. And so I can see like, are they outdoorsy people? They're probably going to want a little bit of that Pacific Northwest feel to it or greeneries, you know, and things like that. Are they more of a ballroom couple and indoorsy? You know, we love to sit and watch a movie. That is probably going to be a little bit more straight laced traditional wedding. So just giving, getting that insight initially right off the bat and not being able or not being afraid to ask those questions. Cause that gives you a lot of, um, just, uh, insight into their brains <laughs> and where they're at. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah. yes. It's like getting yeah. to know them. Right. I mean, even like right. our clients, if ever we're approached for a commission and it's usually very simple, right? Usually it's like, oh, I want this and this, mm-hmm. and maybe they'll describe something, but everyone's vision of what that looks like is different. Right. Mm-hmm. And asking those questions, like you're saying, even like everything around them, right? Like, oh, what do you, yeah, what do you like to do in your free time? Or take a picture of what your room looks like. Like those yep. little things are so telling in terms of what their style is. What are they actually asking you? Like, what are they mm-hmm. asking, actually asking you to do for them? Because a mm-hmm. lot of people, you know, it's all in their mind. So they say it out, but we might not understand exactly what they mean. And so I think our job as artists and you know your job as the wedding planner is to try to interpret it the best that we can. But that, mm-hmm. like you said, requires asking the questions. I think more questions than less is probably yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And one of the questions that kind of feeds into that, I'll ask them, what do you want to see from a wedding planner? What are you hoping to get from me? And so that way I can see like, okay, are their expectations realistic? And like, mm-hmm. I can do that with my hands tied behind my back <laughs> or are there expectations? Like we want you to be at our beck and call and demand every single day. Of the- <laughs> no, no way. Jose. Sorry. We're not a good fit anymore. We're not a good fit. Yes. And I absolutely, and that, that has hundred percent come with experience, but I have absolutely turned a couple down midway through the consultation and just say, you know what? I don't think we're ready to be having this conversation right now. Either they're not far enough along in, in having the conversations with each other or their parents, or, you know, I don't think that I'm going to be the best fit for you in terms of what you're looking for. Here's ABC planner, who I think would be a great fit for you, but I just don't think it's going to be me early on in my career. Hell no, that never would have happened. (laughs) It absolutely comes with confidence and with experience and knowing that if that couple doesn't book me, somebody else will. And I'm not going to be impoverished, you know, like, oh my gosh, if I would have just gotten that one booking, my financial situation would have been so much better this year, whatever. <laughs> like just comes with that confidence and knowing like I have a great reputation. There's enough referrals coming in. I'll be fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you're definitely, totally right. it's, it takes experience to say no. Because you're always, yeah. part of it is FOMO, right? Whether it's financial or it's whether it's yep. opportunities or maybe you're sure. flattered because someone emailed you and was like flattering you and you're like, oh, I have to do this. But I, yeah, I do. I do believe that 
you need boundaries, right? Because mm-hmm. if you don't have yeah. those boundaries, no matter how much somebody pays you, like you yes. don't want to be staying up all night dealing with calls because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're freaking out about their wedding um, <laughs> or they're emailing you all the time asking for updates on what you're doing. And like, you just, yeah, you need to know where to draw those boundaries. And I think saying no is one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, it absolutely say is. No in, a, in a nice and polite and yes. authentic way. But I mean, it saves you and it saves them, to be honest. I mean, it saves them as well of the grief of working with someone who might not meet their expectations of how yep. how you're going to deliver the, your service. So absolutely. I think that's a, yeah. that's that's a really good, good tip. And Jesse, that is a perfect addition to also telling that couple or your, your commission client what you need from them. I didn't used to do that as part of my consult. I have started doing it because... I need couples that are going to be responsive, as I'm sure you guys do too, right? You can't move on to your next step if you don't have that answer. And so telling them like, my expectation for myself is to get back to you within 24 hours or less. I don't have that same expectation for you. Uh, I do want a response within 48 hours though. I, like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to be waiting more than two days to get an answer back from your client. And so, and I tell them like, I my hands literally are tied. I cannot do my job. I cannot move on to the next step until I hear from you. Mm-hmm. So that is imperative for a, for a worthwhile relationship. And then secondly is also a lot of trust. You know, you guys as artists, you will take some creative license in what they've given you. I do the same. I do. I build them the next step. I build them, you know, out what is going to happen when I'm putting together a lot of the visual side mm-hmm. for their wedding day. So having that trust and like, am I going to be a good fit? Not only for the process, also for the vision, but also on execution on day of. Can you see me with your wedding party? Can you see me with your parents? Can you see me guiding you through the day? If you can't, then let's stop this conversation now. But if you can and you think I'm going to be the right fit for you, yeah, let's continue on and, and have that conversation. So it very much is you do not have to take on every client that comes your way. You have that ability and that power to say, no, we're not going to be a good fit. And sometimes that is absolutely the best thing you can do for yourself and setting that expectation, not only for yourself of what they can expect from you, but what you can expect from them in return, because it very much is a two-way street. And, you know, I know on average, my, my, from booking to wedding day is about nine months to a year and a half mm-hmm. um, with your commissions. You know, I would imagine it's probably a little bit shorter, but still you're dedicating a little bit of time to that person. And so just making sure that it is a really good fit all the way around. For sure. For yeah. Sure. So the hour has gone by so fast. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, we're already in the noon. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap this conversation up and yeah, I have to ask you, you did over 70 weddings last year. How did you pamper yourself and recover from such a hectic wedding season? That's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm gonna take you on a little walk because I will show you how I pampered myself. <laughs> All right. So those of you that are watching on video, you get a little bit of a tour of my home here. And I will show you what I did. Okay. Can you see it? Oh my gosh, you guys. Oh, this is excellent. So she ended up giving one of these amazing, is it Korean massage? It's Japanese. It's the Daiwa massage chair. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. Into it. Yes. And And it's the whole body. body. (laughs) (laughs) What a great investment. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. 
Yes, it was <laughs> a wonderful you. investment. I Good use it every day. So I do, we have a hot tub at this house too. So I go hot tub, massage chair, bed. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a wonderful way to end the night. <laughs> yes. Not too shabby. No, not, not too at shabby all. at all. Oh, I think that's goodness. the best pampering that we've heard so far mm-hmm. for the season. Yeah. <laughs> And I would say, kudos to you for taking care of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) my body needs it after those forty-two weddings, (laughs) right? Oh my god, on your feet, pretty much, and running around and lugging things. Yeah, yeah, yes, needed for sure. Yes. So thank you to my generous couples that gave me wonderful gratuities this past year, and I was able to afford that massage chair. So. Yay. Thank you to them. <laughs> Yay for wonderful couples. Yes. Amen to that. Yes. So true. Oh, oh, thank awesome. you so much, Rebecca. This, I mean, you gave us so much tips and advice and so much good information. And I think our audience is going to love hearing all this. Yeah. Awesome. I hope so. Thank you both for the opportunity to come on and see you again. And thank you so much. And people feel free to email me if they have uh, individual questions. If you're local to the Seattle area, I'm going to invite you to a networking meeting. <laughs> Love it. Yep. Hey, everyone can just, yep, exactly. If they have any individual questions, they can email me at info at newcreationsweddings.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, cool. Rebecca. Thank you, <laughs> Jesse. Appreciate it. We would love to thank you, our listener, and especially our patrons for supporting our podcast, Paper Talk, and for making season five possible. <laughs>